Welcome to Bright Lights, Big Burbs. I'm Claire Carvadias. In today's episode, we're looking at some of the roots of modern Mississauga. How what happened decades ago shaped the place as it is now, ultimately shaping the lives and experiences of those who passed through this place. Everybody has done a history tour. And people are like, well, what do you mean we've done a history tour? I said, how many people have driven on Dundas Street? You know, everyone will clap their hands on Dundas Street. Hey, good, because you're traveling on a road that was built in 1794. If you want to touch history, go for a drive, go for a walk. It is all around us. It's a landscape that we live on. I lived in Mississauga for close to a decade. I completed my undergrad here. I met my husband here. And it was in this city that I experienced my first taste of tragedy and grief as my father-in-law passed away in a local hospital. This is where I got my driver's license, my first apartment, and my first house. This place has been the setting for so many events in my own life but like so many of the thousands of students and visitors and residents that have moved through this space, I've never paid much attention to its history. How is it that so many of us claim something as our own? My street, my hometown, my university, but we know so little about them. It's about time to rectify that. So. I'm meeting with Matthew Wilkinson from Heritage Mississauga to get the goods on the city in its beginnings. Okay, here we go. I'm um, just around the corner, just driving to the to Matthew's office. It's called the Grange. It's the historic. Robinson Adamson House, um, just off of very busy Dundas Street here in Mississauga. It's a bit of a trick to to, uh, to get here um, if you're if you're going eastbound on, on Dundas. There it is, set back from the road. It's up on a slight rise. It's the most. It's a beautiful shade of blue green, and um, and it looks looks really well preserved. How have I never noticed this before? It's like stunning. It's one of the hidden gems of the city. Okay, here we go. But just to start, if you don't mind saying your name yeah. and your role. Uh, Matthew Wilkinson, uh, Matthew with two T's. I'm the historian with Heritage Mississauga. I'm also a past graduate of Erno College slash uh, UTM. So tell us a little bit about the role that you play as a historian in Mississauga. I'm often behind the scenes, um, which is kind of the way I like it. Right now I'm working on multiple interpretive plaques that I have on the go. We do an annual comic book for the city of Mississauga that's based on local history, which has been phenomenal. Yes, you heard it right. He did say comic books. To me, it's a fascinating, multifaceted, multicultural, and I know that's that's kind of a kitschy term today, multicultural, but it, but it's very true. I mean, there's something in the neighborhood of like over a hundred languages spoken in Mississauga, and um, uh, like we were just coming off Karasaga, and you know what a neat ex- expression of, of culture in the city. But 
Mistlock has got a, an identity in a way that's growing from the outside in. Mistlock is not a village that became a town that became a city. It's born through amalgamation. So each of those places that were amalgamated to create the city of Mississauga have their own identities, have their own stories. They're still in our community today. Streetsville, Arendelle, Port Credit, uh, Meadowville, they're all older than Mississauga. And, and there are residents who have never moved, whose families have been here for generations. Mississauga, though, I, I, in my brain, is a place of new beginnings. I, I, whether it be uh, our earliest foray as, as homeland for new refugees from the American Revolution, uh, Loyalist Settlement, right through, I mean, we just accepted 100 plus Syrian families. Like, this idea of Mississauga as a place of beginnings, a place where, where people can come and start afresh. I have to admit, at this point, I'm still a little skeptical. I mean, I get it. By Canadian standards, Mississauga is a big city. It's sixth largest, in fact, with a populace nearing 800,000. But it still has a popular reputation of being little more than a sprawling suburb, or as my friends call it, a house farm, where houses grow row upon row, interrupted only by strip malls. But Matthew insists we're not seeing it for what it really is. Um, I refer to Mississauga a little bit like an onion. There's layers. Um, some of them make you cry, but it's good for a stew. Layers in time. That got me thinking. Layers in time. The perpetual presence of history in a place. It reminds me of a line I love from Michael Ondaatje's book, Running in the Family. Here he writes, He is a man who knows history. It's always present. Mississauga in, is a multifaceted, multi-layered community, both in terms of its geographic footprint and its history, but also in terms of the many, many cultures over time that have come to, to reside here. Some of them have shaped the city in some fashion, whether you're dealing from uh, our first, or even back to our Aboriginal peoples, which obviously influenced the name of the city, but also many of the programs that we offer in the city today, um, to our first wave of settlers, which were either American refugees or new immigrants from, from the old world. refers to our Aboriginal peoples who influenced the name of the city, he's referring to the Ojibwa tribe, the Mississaugas. A quick history from the Heritage Mississauga website says, people have lived along the shores of Lake Ontario in what is now the city of Mississauga for over 10,000 years. Although there are scant records of pre-contact Aboriginal peoples, archaeology has found evidence of Paleo-Indian, archaic, woodland, and Iroquoian sites. Between 1650 and 1720, there was a transition between Iroquois-speaking peoples and the Mississaugas, who came to establish themselves throughout large portions of southern Ontario, including along the Credit River in what is now the city of Mississauga. By American refugees, Matthew's referring to the Loyalists who fled during the American Revolution. To continue with Matthew's metaphor, this podcast is really about that stew. 
all of our stories are ingredients jumbled together. So let's get back to the Mississauga onion. Human imprint is on the land for multiple generations, but we're only ever meant to see the current, the current view, the current generation. But it's all around us. Those decisions that past generations have made are all around us. And in most cases, don't disappear. They just get built upon and built upon, so you get these layers in time. Right through each of the war periods, were followed by a period of, of increased immigration. Um, so in the 1920s, you had you know increasing numbers of Polish and and, uh, and Italian migrant workers coming through this community, many of whom have established themselves. Some of whom businesses are still thriving from that time period and still part of like even one of our city councillors is descended from uh, an Italian worker in the 1920s. Um, right through the Second World War period, where you get the beginnings of, of uh, suburbanization, um, the ending of the you know the gradual end of uh, uh, rural agricultural economy. Uh, our oldest commuter subdivisions date to you know the 1920s to the 1940s, and they're still in our community today. Um, my mom, who she's alive, she's 77 years old, drove a horse and buggy on Dundas Street. This idea of Mississauga as a place of beginnings, a place where where people can come and start afresh. Um, I think there's something to be proud of in that, and I think it's something that, that um, uh, offers our city a chance to grow and have energy, and, and, and I don't know that we've ever, say, pinpointed that as a signpost of, of our community, but it's something I think is embedded in us, that, that you can come here and you can lay an imprint and you can shape, you can add your story to the growing story of the city and help shape that city, and, and, it, and it welcomes it. Peter Jones, who lived from 1802 to 1856, was an articulate and deeply committed leader of the Ojibwa people. He played a key role in Mississauga's adjustment to European culture and their survival as a cohesive group. To me, Peter Jones was the most, and yet most people haven't heard of him. Um, yet he shaped the world at a time when the world needed shaping in this community and he was based on the credit river here um, this is an individual as much as you know we celebrate people today everyone has heard of queen victoria and this individual in 1838 had a personal audience with queen victoria um, and he referred to himself as a lowly chief of the mississaugas um, he shaped the world both english and native at a time when it was raw, at a time when the future of Native peoples was in question, um, and he influenced people to his side of the thinking. He was not without his faults, um, he was not without opposition within his community, and yet he drove him to the point of breaking his own health and he died very young. But his book, Sacred Feathers, uh, written by Donald Smith, I've read it multiple times and I always say it's like visiting an old friend. If history is always present, then Peter Jones is kind of like a neighbor. Okay, I'm being a little liberal with the bending and obliterating of boundaries of time here, but it's an interesting concept. And speaking of moving boundaries, what we now know as the city of Mississauga is really a place with relatively new borders and a newish name. Um, so prior to Mississauga's Toronto Township, 
Within Toronto Township, several of the villages began to emerge as individual entities and would uh, would incorporate. So Streetsville is the first to incorporate um, in, uh, in 1850. So Streetsville, although within the geography of Toronto Township, is now a separate municipality. Uh, Port Credit follows that, that realm. Uh, Malton was on the path to it. They become a police village. They never incorporate. The, the amalgamation happens before they incorporate. The other entities, uh, Arendale, Cooksville, Meadowville, etc., they never separated. So they were always controlled by the larger township, even though they were their own mm-hmm. kind of identity. Um, so when Toronto Township becomes the town of Mississauga, before the city, 1968, it is the town of Mississauga and Streetsville and Port Credit. So Streetsville and Port Credit are separate. And in 1974, Streetsville and Port Credit merged with the town of Mississauga to become the city of Mississauga. But the entire geography that is the footprint of the city was known as Toronto Township. As Matthew continues to peel back the onion, he's revealing not just the city itself, but also parts of the landscape, the houses, the streets, all these places that have these layers of human imprints, the oldest, most tender, and evanescent ones buried deep inside them. I begin to hear about his favorite characters, favorite places, favorite moments. They all rise to the surface. The fact that, you know, uh, it's going to sound really really funny. I have a favorite intersection in Mississauga. It's not far away from here. If you go just past Arables Parkway and Dundas, you'll find the intersection of Dundas Street West and Fifth Line West. How do two west roads intersect? You know, curiosities. They're all over our landscape today. I have to admit, I'm touched by Matthew's fascination with this peculiarity. I've driven past that intersection hundreds of times, and I never chuckled to myself about its oddity. I never even noticed. So while I can't yet claim it to be my favorite intersection, I can admit that I'm now going to be mindful of it when I drive by. And it makes me wonder, what else am I not paying attention to? What do all of us walk past, drive by, or sit in that we're not noticing? The Mississauga Heritage House that Matthew and I are sitting in, for example, I'd not previously contemplated its story. You lived, you, you've lived in the neighborhood before, you grew up here, but you said this place is, you didn't know it was here. Yet this house is in its original location since 1828. So in a sense, the city has grown entirely around it. This house has never tried to hide itself, right? The, the, the houses don't do that. But the way that it's built, the way that it's situated on the property is a historic landscape. It's not a modern landscape. So it's set back from the road. There's a frontage. There's, you know, in, in a way it is hiding itself without ever intending that, 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 that to be. But, you know, this at one point was, you know, it's a humble house, but this is the manor of a farm. It was more important for the house to have access to its property than it was to the road. You know, so uh, and so that's where you get these large setbacks. You know, this is on a little bit of a rise of a land. So he had the farmer would have a view of his property. Uh, he wouldn't have to worry about floods. Wouldn't have to you know anything like that. So th- th- you know, houses tell a story. Landscape tells the story. Professor McElroy's class uh, in in uh, historical ge- historical Ontario uh, geography and uh, UTM. 
um, talks about the vernacular landscape a great deal and, and uh, this idea of, of, of rubbed again where you, you, human imprint is on the land for multiple generations but we're only ever meant to see the current, the current view. Matthew's interest in Mississauga is not purely academic. It's also personal. Uh, although I'm Wilkinson, my mom's at Adamson. Uh, my ancestors arrived in this area in 1821 um, and have never left. <laughs> Literally, the family farm was next door to this. My great uncle lived here. My mom's house is down the road and was built in the 1850s. I obviously went to Arendelle. I worked on an apple farm on Mississauga Road. Uh, it's it, you know it, it's it's kind of a neat story. It's a sad story too because you don't leave. But <laughs> it's, so multiple generations of a family, many of whom are still in the area. Um, so the Adamsons were very. Uh, the second generation had seven sons, and the eldest son of that generation had seven sons, and so that family is a very large family. <laughs> the I grew up. My biggest influence as a child, or as a as a teenager. Uh, was my my uncle Tommy Adamson, who was a local historian. The uh, the museum that's in the St. Peter's Anglican Church on the corner of Mississauga Road and Dundas is called the Thompson Adamson Bell Tower Museum after him. Not only did he influence me, I worked for him. He was the caretaker of the church on the corner, and so uh, my summer jobs was actually repairing gravestones. After Matthew says this, I begin to pay attention to our setting. We're seated in the basement of the Heritage Mississauga House. There is art by local artists lining the walls, and from time to time I can hear the sounds of someone mowing the lawn outside and people walking across the floor upstairs, which doesn't concern me until Matthew tells me about the ghost that lives in the building. So we'll have more on that in our upcoming Haunted Mississauga episode. I've still got goosebumps about it. Back to my conversation with Matthew. The information I have is not mine. I don't own it. I'm not. I'm not uh, controlling of it. it. It's, it's a story of this place, and my job and others is to relate that story. You, you research it, you document it, you share it, but the sharing is the most important part. And um, I think professional. You know, I say as a citizen, I love where I live. I love this place. This. Uh, I'm fascinated by Mississauga. I know a lot of newcomers that come in. Mississauga is suburban everywhere. I like to show that there is a layer to a story here, and the story is just as fascinating as any other place's story, uh, and just as worthy as commemoration and, and remembrance, and um, and we're able to resonate with, like, you know, something you walk by every day has a story, like, you just don't know the story, like, what if you give them a little bit, and then, you know, if you can, if you can get somebody curious about a place, you're halfway to getting them to care about a place. Like me, Matthew attended UTM right around the corner from where we're conducting our interview. You might be wondering what Arendelle is. It's not the fabled city in the Frozen movie. Uh, here's a quick history excerpt taken from www.utm.utoronto.ca. The story of Arendelle College began when the University of Toronto purchased 150 acres of land along the winding Credit River in the early 1960s. The 1960s were an exciting time for the new campus, which opened the doors of Arendelle College's single academic building to 155 students in September 1967. In 1968, J. Tuzo Wilson, the college's principal, invited a group of local residents to provide a link between the campus and the newly created town of Mississauga. 
Originally the Associates of Arendelle College, they were later known as the Associates of U of T Mississauga. Arendelle College became known as the University of Toronto at Mississauga, or UTM, in 1998. So there we go. But back to Matthew's Mississauga Onion. There's a, there's a term, it's not a, not a real word, but I use it all the time, it's called rootedness. Um, if you can get somebody interested and develop the roots of a community, then I think we've done our jobs as stewards of that. Um, you, you can't force somebody to have an opinion that they're not going to generate themselves, but you can maybe generate a curiosity, an interest, and, and, and if you do that, then you've got, you've got some caring, you've got some potential responsibility moving forward, um, you've got some stewardship development, and I think that's, you know, as a professional, that's what my job really is. So mostly what I try to do is get people curious, get people interested, get people, did you, I bet you didn't know this, you know, it's kind of an interesting story, and, 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 but, but don't give them all the answers. I realized that, as often happens with history, I'm hearing one angle on one story. I'm hearing history through the lens of Matthew and his own heritage. I don't have an issue with that. In fact, the fact that Matthew descends from Mississauga royalty makes the house we're sitting in even more meaningful and imbues the story with more meaning. I also realized that Matthew's story intersects with mine, not just through this podcast project, but by the fact that we were both students at the University of Toronto, Mississauga. We watched the same hallways and sipped from the same water fountains. We both loved and continue to love the place. It shaped us and we shaped it. Whether people love, hate, or are indifferent about a place they've been or they've lived, it still made an impact on them. So Matthew and I shake hands and head off promising to meet again soon at the local cemetery to continue our peeling back of the onion. And I drive off, taking a detour past the university, then past the first house I owned with my husband just around the corner from the campus. The tiny garden I planted when we lived there is still there, but the plants are different. It's another weird little metaphor for the places we occupy. The space is there. One person comes and makes her imprint. Another person comes and makes some changes. Or, by doing nothing, lets space change naturally. But just by being there, touching that soil and breathing that air, those people's stories are connected by that space. And it makes me want to pay more attention. I keep thinking about what Matthew said about getting people curious. As I drive further away from the UTM campus across the border of Mississauga into another city, I realize I do care and that I want to know more. So join me for the next episode of Bright Lights Big Burbs as I continue to explore Mississauga and UTM. I'm definitely curious. If you liked what you've heard, please rate us on iTunes. It really helps. Sound production and podcast concept by Joanna Zermack. Writing, interviews, and hosting by me, Claire carver -Dias. Musical credits go to Evan Schaefer, Ryan Little, The Polish Ambassador, and Drake Stafford. 
all tracks available from the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org.